The sermon text for uh, this morning is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, making our way steadily through the epistle to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And there we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, as you may have noticed in these verses, the writer of Hebrews, as he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses the image of a race to encourage Christians to endure in their faith to the end. And the author uses this analogy because athletic games were common in uh, the Roman Empire. When he mentioned here a race, the image immediately popped into the head of his audience, and I'm sure for us this morning, as they and we know this morning exactly what he is referring to, this athletic event with spectators and with participants um, all vying for uh, the finish line. And even the Apostle Paul uh, used athletic images to describe uh, the life of faith in his letters. We read, for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 6, Paul writes to Timothy toward the end of his life, and he says, I have fought the good fight. There's an athletic image there. I have finished the race, another athletic image. I have kept the faith. And so when the Apostle Paul and when the writer of Hebrews refers to uh, this race, they are referring to the life of faith. And so this morning, I want to ask, how are we to compete? How are we to run the race of faith, uh, run in this uh, life of faith? First, we see in our text in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning of verse 1, we are first to consider the previous runners who finished. We are to consider the previous runners who finished. We read in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This cloud of witnesses that the author of Hebrews refers to is all of the earlier generation of Christians who lived and who died by faith. He is referring specifically to uh, the Old Covenant saints, some of whom were listed in Hebrews chapter 11, who uh, witnessed to uh, the one true faith uh, during their lifetimes. And so when he's referring here to the cloud of witnesses, he's not just saying that they are passive uh, spectators in an amphitheater you know, watching the Hebrew Christians around the race, uh, but he's speaking specifically about the fact that this cloud of witnesses are martyrs. They testify to 
the truth of God's promises. God's promises that did not come to pass in their lifetimes, but God's promises that nonetheless uh, came true in time and history uh, with the birth and uh, life, death, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven thirteen, when he's referring to this cloud of witnesses, he says, all these died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And so the key words in this verse here in verse 13 are that they died in faith. See, they ran to the end. They finished the race. They, during their lifetimes, they believed that God would send a Redeemer to save his people from their sins. And though they didn't see that promise, again, come to pass in their lifetimes, they died believing that God would be faithful to fulfill his word, that God would certainly come true, come through. And this cloud of witnesses, what they were doing was they were looking to Christ during their lifetimes. And they were, as they looked to Christ, looked to the promised one that God would send, they were saved by faith in him. So they weren't saved by keeping the law. They weren't saved by works. But they were saved in the promise of a coming redeemer. This is you know, made so evident to us in the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus in the Gospels. Because as we read in the Gospels about Jesus' transfiguration, we read that he was transfigured on the mount and there were three disciples with him as Jesus revealed his glory to them. And, and as we read that account, and as you read that account, who appeared with Jesus on that mountain? It was Moses and Elijah, two old covenant saints who were amongst those in Hebrews eleven thirteen who died in faith. And here, centuries later, they appear on the mount with Jesus, and they're talking to Jesus on that mount. And the Gospels say that they spoke with him about his departure. It's a very specific word about his exodus. They were talking to Jesus about the cross that was coming up uh, in Jesus' uh, mission. So Moses and Elijah, they're testifying to the fact that they died in faith looking to the coming one. And so these witnesses in the arena, Moses and Elijah, all the old covenant saints, they were Christians who lived by faith over the centuries. And so they're not so much as watching as simply reminding us that the church is old. Sometimes we have this tendency to believe that uh, the church doesn't go back very far, that we are the most important generation. Yet we see God's faithfulness, not just over the centuries, but over millennia, as God promised and fulfilled as so Many Christians have lived before us and died in faith. And so as we look at this cloud of witnesses, we see their faithfulness to God's word that was given to them. We see especially God's faithfulness to his church. They believed. They believed that God would be faithful and God showed himself faithful as he fulfilled his promises. And so we are to run in this way looking and 
considering those who went before us, looking to them, but remembering God's faithfulness always to his church. So we are first to consider the previous runners who finished, and secondly, we are to consider how we might run our best race. We read in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And so the writer of Hebrews here continues with this athletic imagery, and he says here that there are two things we must do in order to run our best. We are to first lay aside every weight, and second, we are to lay aside the sin which clings so closely. So let's look at this first uh, command that we are given. And when he says here that we must lay aside every weight, um, you know, what he's referring to here is he's referring to things that are legitimate, um, that are good, but things that nonetheless need to be taken off and laid aside in order that we might run in the race of faith effectively and efficiently. Again, the imagery is that of athletic games. And we know that any runner who is at all serious, uh, in any way serious about competing and, and trying to win, what they do is they try to maximize their speed, try to maximize their efficiency so that they might endure. Sometimes we say that they seek to travel as light as possible. And so we see even in the Olympics when we watch as the runners prepare for the race, you know, they show up with their warm-up gear on, with their duffel bags, with all their equipment. But as the time of the race approaches, they start to shed the clothing. They start to lose the excess weight uh, so that they might run as they are preparing for the race. And again, you know, these things are, are legitimate good things, but we read here that they must be laid aside. And so this morning, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what legitimate good things are hindering our, our running the race of faith? We know that uh, many things, many things are not wrong or sinful, but we also know that they can become weights that hinder us or, or slow us down. Again, many things are not wrong in themselves, but so many things in life can just hinder us from putting forth our best effort. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things built, build up. And so when we think about it, you know, it's often the lawful, legitimate things that can be the greatest hindrance to us in the life of faith. One example for many of us this morning might be uh, that of social media. You know, with social media, it's, uh, it can be a blessing, but it can also be uh, very much of a curse. Social media helps us uh, keep in touch with others, helps us connect with old friends, but, you know, more and more studies are showing that overuse of social media can be linked to things like depression and anxiety and discontentment. We 
probably all had the feeling as we're scrolling through our feeds, we see you know, our friends posting the best aspects of their lives. And we're sitting there thinking, my life does not look like that. Right? And that can lead to discontentment and to uh, discouragement, uh, thinking that, you know, I don't, I'm not feeling like they are feeling, and so there must be something wrong with me, or perhaps God doesn't love me as much as he loves them, right? or I'm not succeeding in the same way that they are succeeding. These things can become a hindrance to us. Not sinful, they can become a hindrance to us. Now, for me, uh, thinking back, it was news radio uh, for a time. You know, I, listen, I used to listen to it all the time uh, while driving. I'd get in my car happy, but by the time I reached my destination, I was upset and anxious and annoyed. Because all I heard while driving was what's wrong, right, with politics, uh, what's wrong with the world, and just hearing this negative report of how it's just everything's just getting worse and worse. And, you know, I would put myself through this day after day for years until I finally realized how unhelpful and how unhealthy it was. And so the one thing I did was I replaced news radio with a podcasting, listening to sermons and theological lectures, and, you know, only once in a while listening to a political talk. And, you know, I immediately, once I made that switch, I immediately felt the benefits to my soul. See, for me, news radio was a hindrance. It wasn't a sin, but it was a hindrance. And these hindrances or weights can sometimes be more dangerous. If you think about it, they can be more dangerous than the sin in our lives. Why is that? Well, I believe it's because you know, sin is often easier to identify. Right? We have the Ten Commandments. We have God's law that so effectively points out how we fall short. And we know, therefore, we can identify sin and we can repent of it. But the weights, the weights in our lives are often more subtle and harder to identify. And so one thing we need to do is to pray for wisdom, that God, by his word and by his Holy Spirit, might continue to reveal to us not just how we fall short in our lives according to our sins, but how we fall short in not seeking to honor him and glorify him with things like our time, things like our effort, with how we apply our minds to effectively uh, spreading the gospel of his kingdom. Things like uh, wasting time or hanging out with people, again, are not necessarily sinful. Uh, but hanging out with the wrong people can lead us down wrong paths, can expose us to bad influences. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are the weights in your life? What is slowing you down in your Christian growth? And secondly, we're instructed here to also lay aside, lay aside the sin which clings so closely. As we saw, hindrances or weights slow us down, but sin, we read here, entangles our feet. 
Sin can bring us down. In fact, the NIV translation of this verse calls this entangling sin. And so the imagery is so clear. As a runner is, is trying to run, and his feet, her feet are entangled by something, and they are hindered from running. It's something that clings so closely, the sin, that it prevents movement. And so the writer here, from what we can tell, doesn't seem to have a particular sin in mind, but he's speaking about sin in general because God hates all sin. And we all can testify to the destructive nature of sin in our world and even in the lives of true believers. And so, loved ones, we must never, ever tolerate sin in our lives. That's why we are instructed from the Word and from our Westminster standards that we must continually be repenting of sin, seeking the grace of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit that we might run as effectively as possible. We read third in our text that we are to also consider the length and course of the race. We are to consider the previous runners, consider how we are to run best, and third, consider the length and course of the race as we read in Hebrews 12 verse 1 that we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now the picture evoked in this phrase in verse 1 is of runners, these athletes, as they're preparing for their race, what they're doing is they're looking down the track and evaluating the course that they are about to run. What they're doing is they're looking down the track and They're getting a sense of the length and of the turns, and they're assessing, as they're looking at it and evaluating it, what is going to be required in order to finish the race. And so we as Christians, we read here that we are to do the same thing in the life of faith. We are, in a sense, to look down the track of our lives, track that stretches out into uh, the future, and we're to consider the length and the course of the race of faith in order that we too might uh, finish the race. This is why the author says here that we are to run with endurance, because as we consider this race of faith, we need to understand that it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a long-distance race. And so the race of faith requires that we run for a lifetime, and we run knowing uh, what our course is. And when we think about the idea of endurance and perseverance, this was one of the challenges that the Hebrew Christians were facing. We are very aware of this by now as we have been going through the epistle to the Hebrews. We know that these first century Christians, they started out well by trusting in Christ when they heard the gospel. But by the time the author was writing to them, the Hebrew Christians were slowing down. They were being hindered because of persecution and because of the rejection that they were facing as a result of their newfound faith in Christ. And as a result of 
the persecution and the rejection and the difficulties. They were being hindered in their race. They were in danger of being like the seed that was sown on rocky ground. Remember the parable of the soils that Jesus told in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus referred to seeds that fall on different type of types of soils, and one of the soils he referred to was the rocky soil. We read in Mark chapter 4, verse 16 through 17, that these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So in a sense, these who heard the word started sprinting, but they didn't endure to the end because they hadn't evaluated the course. They didn't know what the Christian life requires, that it requires, uh, and it involves both joys, but also difficulties and times of sorrow and of distress. So the author of Hebrews exhorts the Hebrews and us this morning to run with endurance, to persevere, not just for a little while, but for a lifetime. You know what this is like? Think about it. It's like a sprinter uh, signing up for a long-distance marathon and not realizing. A sprinter who signed up for a race doesn't realize that, oh, it's actually a marathon, not a sprint. And he doesn't evaluate the course, doesn't realize what's involved, and so he starts out really nice and strong. And as the course continues, he realizes he's not uh, going to be able to make it, that he won't last. And so the Lord Jesus even cautioned his disciples to count the cost, to know what is involved in order that they might finish well. He said in Luke 14, as he was speaking to them about the cost of following him, he said uh, that that, uh, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. The the illustration from Hebrews of a runner evaluating the course before him, and the illustration from Jesus of a builder counting the cost of the project before him, they both illustrate that as believers, we must not be naive about what the Christian faith requires. We need to be those who count the cost so that when difficulties come our way or when we feel like the race is longer than we anticipated, we can say, you know, I knew this all along. I knew what would be required of me. 
This is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, our second reading this morning. And the Apostle Paul, he also, again, used this idea of, of, of a race. Where he said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So Paul says, listen, he says, I do not run aimlessly. Uh, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. See, Paul says, I do not run aimlessly, but I run with purpose, aware of the course, aware of the finish line. And he says, I do everything in order to make sure that I finish, that I finish. And so I want us to notice, loved ones, that even the Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul did not presume that he was saved. This is a really important point because, you know, Paul did not say, you know, I, I believe I'm elect, that I'm chosen from before the foundation of the world, so I am just going to uh, sit down and relax and, and not strive to glorify God in my life anymore. You see, instead, Paul's attitude, which should be our attitude, and the writer of Hebrews emphasizes this as well. Paul's attitude is, as he uses these athletic metaphors of racing, and of fighting and of striving toward the goal, they are emphasizing the fact that we must persevere. His perseverance is revealed as the Holy Spirit is working in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And so we run knowing that we will persevere by the grace of God alone. And fourthly, we see in our text that as we consider those who have run before us as we consider the course and how we might run our best. We are fourthly also to consider Jesus and to consider him most of all. We read in verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews 11 that we are to run uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the major imperative of the text, that we are to run looking to Jesus with our eyes firmly fixed on our Savior. The writer of Hebrews here describes Jesus first as the author of our faith. This word author has behind it the idea of a, of a champion or of a leader or of a forerunner. It means uh, someone who goes first and then they guide others on the path that they have made. So what it means that Jesus is the author, that he is our champion, our forerunner. Jesus, our champion, has finished the race. See, he has gained the victory for his people. 
it's really similar to what we read in 1 Samuel 17. In the same way that David was Israel's champion in the fight of, against Goliath, you know, that day all eyes were on David, right, as he went before Goliath. And David's victory meant victory for Israel. And so we must, loved ones, think about Christ as our champion. Our eyes are to be fixed on him because he has gone before us and he has gained the victory. And so his victory has ensured that we will persevere and enter into glory. This is why he is not just the author of our faith, but we read he is also the perfecter of our faith. This means that the Lord Jesus perfectly accomplished all that was necessary to save us. He accomplished all that was necessary to save us. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith because he is the man of faith. He is the perfect man of perfect faith. This is in contrast to to Adam. We read in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, there the apostle Paul, he outlines how All of humanity is represented by two men, by Adam and by Christ. Adam, we read in the scriptures that uh, because of his disobedience, he brought sin into the world. And because we are descendants of Adam, we are all born in sin. But we read the good news of the gospel, which is that Christ was the second Adam who lived a life of perfect obedience, who obeyed the Father in all things. And he triumphed where Adam failed, and as a result of his obedience, you and I have been given his own glory and righteousness. What Paul writes in Romans 5, verses 19 through 20. By Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by Christ's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Sin reigned in death in Adam, but now grace reigns through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is getting at the fact that Jesus endured. Uh, Jesus uh, persevered to the end in perfect obedience and perfect faith in his Father. He endured the shame and the pain of the cross. He endured the most wicked forms of, of opposition and rejection, and yet he remained faithful to the end. And see, loved ones, because he persevered, and because you and I are united to him, the good news of the gospel is that we must and we will also persevere. See, you and I are united to the one against whom sin and death no longer have any dominion. He is our covenant head. He is our hope and surety. He is our champion. He has persevered, and all those who are united to him will also persevere. The reformer, Martin Luther, he wrote a letter to a young man named Jerome Weller in 1530. Uh, Jerome was struggling with uh, depression, and Luther wrote to encourage him. And one of the things 
that Luther said in his letter to Jerome. He said, you know, when, when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares that we deserve death and hell, he's talking about the accusation and feeling of condemnation that we often feel as Christians. Luther says, we ought to say to him, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? Luther says, by no means. Why? For I know one who suffered and made a satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. See, loved ones, this is our great assurance and joy that the Lord Jesus has perfected us before the Father. There's no question mark left in our record before the Father. This is why the author of Hebrews highlights Jesus' suffering and death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection and ascension and session at the right hand of the Father to emphasize the completed work of our Savior. And so we are to run, loved ones. We are to run not under our own strength, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, fixing our eyes on Jesus, to run knowing and believing that God has shown himself faithful to previous generations and to this generation of Christians, to run knowing that he is our Savior and that the Lord Jesus will truly be with us to the very end. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for Christ, our risen and ascended Lord. We ask that you might grant us daily grace to run with perseverance the race that you have set before us, that we might run well and endure to the end. Father, we pray for those among us who are weary and tired because they are burdened by the difficulties and strains of life. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them and fill them with your spirit so they they might not only run, but feel your presence and pleasure as they do so. And we pray, Lord, for all of us, that you would, by your word and spirit, reveal those things in our lives that weigh us down and the sins that so easily entangle. Grant us the desire to mortify sin and to prioritize what pleases you. Lord, you have declared that while the grass withers and the flowers fade, your word endures forever. And so write your word now upon our hearts and help us to call it to mind this week so that we might bear fruit that lasts. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.